1: Hello, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore some of the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm, Michael
2: I'm Scarlett Foe. And I'm Damian Sassinger.
1: We are talking golf, and who better to talk about it than the CEO of the United States Golf Association, Mike Juan. Mike, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Scarlett, Michael, Damien, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, let's start with the obvious here. What do you see coming down the road? And I'm saying it now, 2023, what happened to, what happened? My hair turned gray. Everything just, I'm I'm old. What happened here? But now it's 2023. What do you see down the road to golf?
3: You know, it's funny you say that. I tell people all the time, uh, none of us could have anticipated what COVID meant to our game. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, COVID meant a lot of things to a lot of people, but for the game of golf, it meant uh, an explosion. We went um I said this to a manufacturer the other day could any of us have a, have a, have perceived just a few years ago that we'd um we'd be out of inventory at retail you know we'd see uh, we'd see growth levels highest in history the the game would be driven by youth and women and people of color we'd um we'd see huge booms in both on course and off course following the game increases in watching the game it's really a it's really a special time in our game. We've always talked about in golf this thing we call latent demand, which is people always say, "I wish I had more time. If I had more time, I'd play golf." We never knew if that was really true or if that's just something somebody said. But if twenty nineteen, twenty you know twenty 2020, twenty, twenty twenty one, and twenty two proved anything, it proved that latent demand was real, uh, and the levels we're seeing in the game are like are uh, like something we've never seen before.
2: It's certainly exciting. I think for anyone who heads a golf um, organization. One thing that I think you will have to contend with in 2023 is a lot of legal issues as well. Whether it's Live Golf, whether it's the DOJ's antitrust probe. Um, The DOJ recently expanded its probe of PGA to the U.S. Golf Association, to Augusta National as well, and PGA of America. Is this a reasonable investigation from where you sit?
3: You know, I'm not sure if I have the legal background to decide what's reasonable legally, but um, there's definitely things we do together as a a sport, and thank goodness we do, whether that's um, first tees and drive chip and putts and girls golf, all things that we all combine together to... uh, to really take to another level i don't remember ever in my life having a conversation with another sports entity about um how i filled my u.s open field or how i run a championship or my qualifier so um i've said from the very beginning um i'm happy to let my actions as it relates to uh what we do or don't do uh, speak for themselves you know we played the u.s open in 2022 uh people that had qualified for our posted criteria played in it no matter where they were playing the week before or the week after um, it was a great championship, and it's kind of back. Scarlett, what I was saying before was, in a strange way, and people kind of always look at the negative. But you know, when uh, when billions of dollars has some place to spend and spend it in sport, the fact that golf is at the top of that list says a lot about where our sport is right now in terms of. Not just interest here in the States, but but really around the world.
4: You know, Mike, I was having this conversation over break, and you know, a, a friend of mine said, you know, the problem with Liv is, it's not that they took the best golfers. They just took the best villains. You know, they took some <laughs> great personalities. You know, they took Mickelson. They took Sergio. They took Cam Smith. And my question for you is this. Now what we're seeing is the PGA adjust by, you know, just what we saw over the weekend, the Tournament of Champions in Hawaii, elevated purse, smaller field. Is this what we can expect from the PGA going forward?
3: You know, it's funny. People always say to me, and just like you started your note, what the problem of golf is and And I always say the problem with golf is the fact that we're spending ninety five percent of our time talking about 0001 percent of the people that play it and play it, granted at a high level and get paid to play it at a level. none of the rest of us can perceive. If it wasn't for this kind of weird you know disruption um that you know, wherever it shakes out, it shakes out. it'll you know the game the game will find its footing for hundreds of years, it always has but it's it's the real shame of it isn't you know what a couple of guys are doing or aren't doing or you know who's funding it the The real shame of it is because we're spending ninety five percent of our time talking about this, what we're not talking about you know is the greatest boom in female yeah. golf juniors golf people of color, you know what's happening in terms of top golfs of the world and how that's you know how that's throwing in about another ten million people a year, half of which never have walked on a green course green grass course in their life so you know we're talking about the you know the greatest uh, situation in terms of public facilities financially that they've ever been in so that's the to me the problem with golf isn't um, isn't what's happening for you know a couple hundred folks who were no matter what they choose they're probably going to be pretty well off the problem is we spend our time talking about a couple hundred folks when the rest of the game quite frankly is is healthier than not only than it's ever been but i think anybody could have ever predicted
1: you know something else about golf and i was thinking about this golf To me, is the only major sport where, you know, in football, it's like, yeah, well, if, you know, so-and-so played in today's game, it'd be totally different. Golf is the only game I can think of where you had a guy like a Bobby Jones who could compete today out there on the course. And and what does that say about the golf athlete? Because that, that is saying something.
3: Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's why we take our history so serious because to your point, I don't know if, um, you know, if what's happened to, you know, weightlifting and training and everything else, uh, for some other sports, but I don't think there's anybody on the planet who doesn't believe that if Jack Nicklaus was 25 today and Tiger Woods was 25 today and Bobby mm-hmm. Jones is 25 today, we wouldn't have one of the greatest match plays in history because yeah. they'd all be, you know, they'd all be the top of the game. It's a, it's a unique sport in so many ways. And, you know, I, I won't wax poetically on it, but um i got involved in it i remember my father saying i'm going to teach you a game that you'll play the rest of your life everything else you're currently playing you'll probably never play again when you're my age (laughs) and you know the time you roll your eyes because that's just dad talking but none of us realize when we walk off a football field for the last time or a baseball field that we're probably never going to get you know that many people together to play that kind of but you know i'm as competitive at 58 as i was at 28 in golf it's just as much a part of my life as it was then it's a unique sport that way. I mean, people build vacations around it, you know, travel around it and, and, uh, and, and viewing around it. So it's, um, it's it's a lifestyle more than
2: it's a game. It's a lifestyle more than it's a game for those who who are out on the green. Um, I haven't hit that point yet, but so I'm a little bit still obsessed with things like live golf and and the 0.01 percent who <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> maybe the villains of the sport, right, as Damien's, okay. Damien's friend we'll put talk it. Talk about Rory. <laughs> uh, I
1: tell you, I ought to. <laughs> I, I
2: wonder, Mike. Um, has there been any consideration given to adjusting rules for qualifying for the U.S. Open? Because right now, uh, live tournaments don't qualify for world ranking points.
3: Uh, there, we'll do our qualifications for 2023, probably uh, probably soon here now into 23. But, um, Scarlett, if you don't follow it that close, what I'd tell you is in 2022, we didn't make any adjustments to um, to how people qualified for the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. And in the, in that case, live uh, live players or players that were at the time currently playing on the live tour that had qualified for the u.s open uh, played in the u.s open and we'll give you a good example if you win a u.s open you get 10 years of exemption into a u.s open if you win another major we give you five years of exemption so there's there's players playing on other tours okay. that have earned that have earned an exemption into our event i've said many times i, I can't imagine me telling somebody that they earned something one year and two years later saying that that doesn't exist anymore but in terms of getting to the U.S. Open it's a really different uh, championship again if you don't follow it as closely half of my championship comes out of uh, open qualifiers what well, that means is you literally have to pay your fee and show up at a golf course and over 36 holes and over a long period of time we have 109 different qualifiers and 44 different states I mean if you're going to play anybody can play their way into a US open regardless what their world ranking is. so it is truly an open uh, championship doesn't mean it's easy. Uh, you know we'll have 20,000 people competing for you know 75 spots but um, but that's what's made it special for over 100 years.
4: Well, Mike, one of the big initiatives that the USGA put into place last year, it was unifying the game through handicapping, right? Making a handicap easy and accessible for, you know, any golfer to attain. Also, to make those handicaps update more quickly. And you've done a great job of that. You know, I think it's real time almost now. You know, it used to be a week or there used to be a lag. But, you know, my question for you is this. What sort of initiative do you have to make sure that people actually enter their score? Because sandbagging has become, at least in my, oh, the people I play with, it's become a real issue for me. And I'm just wondering if you have any initiatives planned Are you there.
2: talking about honor code, Damien? <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things people
3: either love about the game or hate about the game is, in general, we believe that people will, will approach the game from an honest perspective. doesn't mean that's always true. But I've, I've said this many times, you know, in golf, uh, you called penalties on yourself. And it happens at the professional level, collegiate level, and at the recreational level. I can't imagine, you know, a pass getting knocked down in the NFL and the defender standing up and saying, wait a minute, I think I interfered <laughs> with him. Um, but that's really what happens every week on a golf course. So, you know, if uh, if somebody doesn't want to post scores and post a higher handicap, pretty sure golf karma will take care of that. But you're we're, right. I mean, what's what's really changed in this game and what really makes the game unique is because we have a handicapping system, I and mean, because it's as easy as entering scores and then knowing where you stand, you can get off a plane in Thailand, walk to the first tee, and have a 47 year old female, an 88 year old male, and a 12 year old boy, and compare handicaps and play a game. I mean, try that with uh, you know try that with football or basketball or baseball. So it's really kind of cool. we have 120 countries in the world all on the same handicapping system. We (laughs) handicap the golf courses all over the world so they can use it. So it's a pretty unique sport in the fact that no matter where you play, no matter where you grow up, and more importantly, where you travel, you can actually play the game and and actually competitively play the game um, that just doesn't exist in almost any other sport.
4: And Mike, also any initiatives you have so that people actually know what they have on a particular hole? So it may be a math class, you know, counting, so that you know they get a bogey. You know, they know when it's. A, you know, they always think it's a bogey when it's a double bogey. You know, is there any? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding.
3: <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was playing over the holidays, uh, and uh, this guy kept entering his scores on his uh, Apple Watch, and I knew we were working ah. on it. But I called in and I said, "Are we? Are we there already?" Or is this guy I said, No, no, you can actually. So I'm embarrassed to tell you, as the CEO, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't aware that people are entering scores, So he was entering hole-by-hole hole scores and even stats on his Apple Watch. By the time he finished his round, he had, he had posted it.
4: Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, Arcos does that, right? I mean, at the end of your round, right, you could just kind of – I think it yeah. can. Yeah. So it's pretty awesome.
1: i got to give a shout-out to you guys, by the way. You guys launched the inaugural U.S. Adaptive Open, and it's a championship that showcases the world's best golfers with disabilities. Tell us about that.
3: Yeah, you know, we have, we, have, we have always had 14 national championships, and I'm proud of the fact that it's, it's old, it's young, it's male, it's female, it's teams, it's individual, it's amateur and professional. But the 15th we launched last July. Um, and, yeah, the U.S. Adaptive Open is really for players with disabilities. What's really unique about it is um, we had eight different classes of disabilities, uh, whether it's single-leg amp- single amputee, dual-leg amputee. We had uh, neurological differences, sight differences, and um, it was—it's. Uh, I've said this many times. We really believed at the USJ we were doing that for them. We were going to create this for the athletes that deserved it. And, and for, quite frankly, we we were and we did. But for all of us who were there and worked that event, we realized maybe afterwards that was as much for us as it was for them. I mean, the inspiration that these athletes give you is, is second to none. And we we believe that if we created a national ch- when we when we got golf at the Olympics back in 2009, when golf was approved in Olympics, we asked about the Paralympics. And I remember one Olympic board. Members saying you're not ready for the Paralympics yet, and it kind of stuck in our head. And kind of, what do you mean we're not ready? Well, as we looked into Paralympics and uh, into athletes with disabilities, we didn't have national championships, we didn't have rating systems, we didn't understand how to handle the different disabilities. And they were right; we weren't ready yet. And so, by us putting on a national championship, by the way, this has already happened. There'll be at least four more significant national championships or in, in, or country championships in 2023 almost all of our state organizations are now trying to figure out how they run state disabled championships so i really believe that our national championship more than anything else is a flag in the ground to say to everybody else you can do this and um and when we all start doing this I think golf in the golf in the Paralympics is a given long term.
4: So, my last question before we lose you here: Sony Opens coming up. You know, it's the beginning of the season. Rory opens at number one in the world. John Rahm just won his third in the last six starts at uh, the Tournament of Champions in Hawaii. Who should we be looking out for in the 2023 season? Which players come to mind for you? I mean, who's moving up the charts here?
3: <laughs> it's always great to ask me like you know pick players because then I have to see <laughs> them next week or two. Um, but I would I would say for me personally, I was. Um, I was surprised we didn't see Will Zalatoris break through at a major last year, even though he just you know was right at the top of each one. I'd, sure. I think Will Zalatoris is probably the next big the next big name, if I had to guess. There's also some pretty impressive rookies and kids actually kind of coming right out of school that that might rocket there sooner than later. But um, when I was at the U.S. Open, um, I saw Will on the green. I'd seen him the week before, and he said, um, "I hope next week, being in the U.S. Open, is going to be a real challenge. Like I really want to be challenged." And, Players almost never say to us, I hope the U.S. Open is a real challenge because it always is. It is a a mental and physical challenge. And I remember walking away thinking, that's pretty cool. I mean, a player actually saying, push me. And um, so I saw him on Wednesday when we were at the country club in Boston. And I said, "Well, you asked. What do you think?" He goes, "Yep, yeah, this is enough. Please, no more than this." That mentality tends to lead to uh, to, to wins and trophies. So, it wouldn't shock me to see more of those this year. I,
1: I got to mention something about equipment, and it's a story. I, this is, you know, we're around the same age, Mike. And I remember my mom; <laughs> she had a wooden set of golf clubs, made and it, I made of real wood. Yeah, it, it it was. It was made of real wood. And I decided, <laughs> "Hey, mom." ooh, let me see that golf club. And she says, okay, be careful with it. And I was going to drive a ball with her little golf club and uh, broke it, oh. and, and then she broke something else. But that's that's something <laughs> altogether. My my point is, is that about equipment? It, about how it's changed today. Players still the same, but equipment has changed. Actually,
3: I'm not even sure I would say players are still the same. To God. <laughs> In any other way than the uh, the what's going on at a training level at the young age, helping kids you know create speed. And I don't mean just speed up, speed on a running track, but create club head speed and and ball speed it's um i've said this many times equipment has changed we're lucky we're lucky in golf i mean not many sports have hundreds of millions of dollars of r&d every year piled into the and i'm not really sure that much money has been spent on a tennis ball or a football they're kind of what they've been (laughs) and probably what they will be but in golf there's literally hundreds of millions of dollars spent in r&d to just get a little bit of advantage so next year the game's a little easier you're a little better and and that investment is is great for the game and for the sport creates excitement you know every christmas when you walk down and see a box that just might look like a golf club <laughs> so it's uh, that's good but i would say that uh, the athletes have changed too you know i mean the stretching nutrition you know i mean if if you walked into a tour van you know this week at the sony and and watch what was going on pre round and compare that to what was going on 30 years ago pre-round. I think you'd be amazed at the difference. It's a John Daly
4: advertisement right there.
1: No names
3: were used. <to do> that.
1: <laughs> See, I said that was my last question. I lied. I got it <laughs> about sustainability of the game because the science and innovation, man, that that is really fueling the game.
3: Yeah, I mean that's that's our role together with the RNA. I mean, our job is not to think about the game three days from now, three weeks from now, or. 30 days. Now there's people that do that every day and they run tours and championships. And our job is really to make sure that the game is as strong 30 years from now as it is now. One of the, one of the things we have to do is make sure that we don't allow athleticism and equipment changes to essentially hand that pay, hand that, that, that debt to people that own golf courses. I mean, very few sports have said to their venues, you have to keep up with us, build bigger, you know, baseball stadiums, build bigger football stadiums. I mean, they might have more fans, but essentially, it's still 100 yards, and uh, so through what we've been we've been monitoring and essentially putting limits on equipment for for 80 years, and we'll continue for the next 80 years. We want there to be advancement. We want there to be excitement. We want to make the game easier for those that are just starting to join the game, and at the same time, we have to make sure we don't wake up with a game 30 years from now that didn't care, and there's really no place to play it, or it's too expensive to build one near a city, or. Um, you know, old golf courses are essentially obsolete. So it's a fine line. It's not, you know, it's it's a, it's it's not a perfect science. It's more of an art. But um, I'm sure if you talk to manufacturers, they'd say those darn USGA people drive crazy. <laughs> and if you, you know, if you talk to some golf courses, they'd probably say those darn USGA people aren't aren't putting enough restriction in. There's there's never a you know there's never a perfect medium. But that's our job is to make sure thirty years from now, what we're talking about today, all this excitement has translated into even more people loving the game.
1: By the way, if you're in Liberty Corner, New Jersey, folks, check out the USGA campus because that's where the USGA Golf Museum is also located. And if you want to see some golf artifacts like that golf ball that Fred Flintstone played with, go and check it out there and you will be amazed at some of the stuff that you will see and how The equipment has evolved. Mike Wan, Chief Executive Officer of the USGA. Thank you, sir, for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports.
3: Thank you, guys. And, Scarlett, don't wait to get started. We're ready for you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports, where we explore some of the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scarlett Fu and Damian Sassauer. And, by the way, you can catch our show, download it, wherever you get your podcasts, because the podcasts happen every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. This has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio.
0: The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor q